we've been learning about prayer and what it means and, and the postures of it and all these kinds of things, um, there was a, an interesting website that came around the early 2000s. Uh, this was an art, this is like way back. We're going a couple decades back and I'm a- aging myself at this point. But there was a, a website called newprayer.com. Uh, don't bother going to it. It doesn't exist anymore. If you go there now, it says the domain is for sale. Um, if you want to buy it, go ahead and start your own website. But there was a, a guy from Cambridge, an engineer named Crandall Stone, who decided to set this site up, and it cost him about $20,000 to do it. They figured out, they were trying to figure out scientifically, where is God? And they figured out that, well, before the Big Bang, everything was in one place. Right? The idea is that the Big Bang was in this one kind of space, and then as things exploded, they just keep universally expanding, and so the universe is getting bigger and bigger. But that at one point, everything was in this one place. And so they, they pinpointed what they thought was the location of this place. It's this star cl- cluster that we call M13. And so they decided that they would have a radio that they would beam towards this area, towards this star, and you could go on this website, and you could send a prayer, and they would beam it to where God was. It's not me. Oh, there it is. Sometimes, you know, when you call tech support and they say restart your computer and you get mad at them, just do it because, like, it really fixes things more often than you think it would. Right. But anyway, he started this site and it got real intense. Like, NASA engineers, scientists from NASA consulted on this thing, like, to figure out how to get things there and all this stuff. But it was just this weird way of being able to communicate with God. And if that doesn't tell you anything you need to know about what the world thinks about how prayer works, I don't know what else to tell you. Right? Prayer is an unnatural thing. Right? It is not something that to us just becomes the second nature easily. It's not like we wake up one day and just can pray. Like we said at the very beginning two weeks ago, there's a way that the world was supposed to work. We were supposed to be in full communion with God. Right? As Adam and Eve were at the dawn of creation, we were supposed to be able to walk with him and to talk with him. And so it makes sense, and it's okay, that prayer might be something that is a little bit unnatural to us as we engage with it, as we begin, right? That's something normal. We should expect that. It is not the way it's supposed to be. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess where prayer, as we do it now, does not need be part of our story because we just interact with God. We sit next to him as if we sit next to our spouses, and we just converse and we ask, Will he answer every question? I don't know. But I'm sure he'll answer more than we have right now. But for now, we need to understand that prayer is something that is weird in our society. It is something that we have all kinds of stigma around. And because of that, there are some really big things that can get in the way as we practically seek to pray. We have these conceived notions, misconceived notions about how prayer works. I told you a few weeks ago that I have family members that want me to pray whenever there's things going on, like at dinner. I'm always the person that prays at dinner because I have the direct line to God somehow. Right? It's a secret phone number that they give you when you get your MDiv degree that no one else has, that I get to keep in my office. I have the red phone. 
Like Ernest Angley has the one to get to his wife, right? I have the phone that, no. Right? That's not how it works. And so this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at the practicality of how it is that we actually pray, right? Two weeks ago, we defined prayer. We looked at what it is. We examined it theologically. Last week, we looked at the posture of prayer. And I preached for 55 minutes, which I found out afterwards. And I'm still here. You guys didn't vote to kick me out. And by the way, giving was pretty good that week. And I don't say that to talk about giving, but it does tell me something about the length of... No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to preach for an hour every time. Um, but every once in a while, it's nice to know that if I, if I go for a whole hour, that there's not rocks being pelted at me, um, you know, even in the midst of the chance that there might be a Browns game or two going on. So all is good. Or Steelers, because let's face it, that's Jesus' team. Right. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> But we're going to look at today a couple passages throughout Scripture that give us a practical idea of how it is to pray. We've looked at what it is. We've looked at what it means. I can't recover from that. I can preach an hour and no one cares. I mentioned the Steelers once. <laughs> and like, I am dead to everybody. All right. We're going to look at some practical things. We, we, we understand the posture as, as we exhaustively looked at last week, the things that we do to set ourselves up so that when we engage with what we're talking about today, that we're in a position where we're ready, where the Spirit hears us, where we are able to hear the word of the Lord speak through us, where we're engaging with him well and regularly, where we're practicing those disciplines that put us in a position for success as we begin to understand what a life of prayer looks like. Today, some of the practical things. And let's start, I feel like we have to, if you're going to preach a sermon on how to pray, we have to start in Luke 11. Luke 11, 1 through 4, tells us this. Maybe. Hey. Now, now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." Now, that's not the whole Lord's Prayer as we know it, right? We get that from Matthew, which expounds on this a little bit. And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. If you're a trespass guy, I'm sorry. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew gives us this outline, and we learn a whole bunch of things by looking at this prayer. It starts with the acknowledgement of God's holiness. So one thing as we begin to pray, as we begin to pray, we acknowledge in the midst of prayer, very first at the outset, that we are praying to a God who is holy. Right? We adore God when we pray to him. We acknowledge his splendor, his greatness, his awesomeness. Right? Awesome, not in the Lego movie, everything is awesome, but in the original word, awesome. Filled with awe, right? We do some other things. We submit to his will, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That prayer is literally asking that the way that heaven works be brought down to earth, right? Think of the weight of that one single sentence. We don't want the economy of this world to be what rules it. We want things down here to be the way they are up there, proverbially up there. Right? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for what we need. Keyword need. Right? Notice that it doesn't say, give us this day our private jet. Right? I know I joke about it all the time. I tried to work it in my contract. It just wasn't in the budget. But it doesn't ask for a jet. Give us what? Our daily bread. Provide for us that which we need. 
to get through the day, right? And he does. Asking for forgiveness and asking for the power to forgive, right? And then finally, we request relief from temptation. We ask that the Lord continuously removes from us the things that tempt us away from him. And so this prayer gives us a really good initial outline of what it means to pray. It gives us some great practical things. It gives us the kinds of things we should be asking about and talking about in prayer. But this is not an exhaustive list by any means. One of the challenges is that this passage gets used to be like, if you want to learn to pray, just, just here. This is it. Now go, and you're done. But the Lord never intended for this to be kind of the some way for how we learn to pray. You just look at the Lord's Prayer and you move on and you don't have to deal with anything else. It's a great start, but there's so much more to it. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple principles that will help us as we look to be people that pray. And if you're, maybe you've not been somebody who has spent a lot of time in prayer and you're wondering, how do I actually start? What, are the, what is it that I do? Here's some of the things that you do. Number one, prayer begins with an incredibly deep sense of humility. Augustine had this idea that we have to start when we pray with this, with this understanding that our hearts are what he called disordered. We have hearts that are disordered. So that before we even say, dear Lord, and whatever it is we're going to say next, we have hearts that naturally aren't prioritizing the things that we should prioritize. Right? Piper says it like this. He says, unless at the very least we recognize this heart disorder and realize how much it distorts our lives our prayers will be part of the problem and not an agent of our healing. For example, if we look to our financial prosperity as our main source of safety and confidence in life, then when our wealth is in grave jeopardy, we will cry out to God for help. But our prayer will be little more than worrying in God's direction. I love that phrase. When our prayer is finished, we will be more upset and anxious than before. Prayer will not be strengthening. It won't heal our hearts by reorienting our vision and helping us put things in perspective and bringing us to rest in God as our true security. Right? Augustine understood, as Keller pointed out, that the, the very beginning of our prayer, we have to come at it realizing that the things that we most want aren't the things that God thinks we should most want. Right? If you look at the priorities of your heart, what's, what's in slots like 1 through 5 should be in slots 20 through 25. Right? And so the very beginning, when you, when you say, dear Lord, and you start to pray, understand that the things that you're likely to ask for may or may not be the things that the Lord thinks you should be asking for. Right? A lot of us will hear that the Lord will give us all the desires of our heart. He'll give us anything you want, right? He says, after all, ask in my name and I'll give it to you. And then we, so we pray for things like a raise or a new house or a new car, or the right spouse to come along, or all these kinds of things. And when they don't happen, we say, well, the Lord doesn't listen to my prayers. Why should I bother? We start with the assumption that what we pray for may or may not actually be what we should be praying for. And so as we begin to pray, that means that the Lord might actually reorient the things that we desire as we are praying. As you engage with them day after day, what you'll find is as your prayer life grows, you will start to ask for different things than you asked for at the beginning. You'll go from asking for things like financial security and new jobs, you'll ask to be used by him in whatever way. 
Right? And you'll trust that he will provide you the security that you need. Right? Things will start to change and shift. It's just a natural part of our prayer life. So that's number one. We understand that for, for Augustine, as he said, our hearts are disordered. When you pray from the very outset, you're probably messed up in the heart as you, as you engage with prayer. Number two, prayer has to be consistent and persistent. Right? Colossians 4.2 tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Right? That word, continue steadfastly, in Greek that's one single word, and it's a really strong imperative. It's not an option. He's not saying, hey, it would probably be smart if you continued. No, he's saying you absolutely must, as a follower of Christ, continue steadfastly in prayer. The word that's used there shows up 20 times in the New Testament, and four of those 20 times it's talking about prayer. The people of scripture, prayer was just part of life. It was second nature. It was just a part of the Christian walk. As it was that you come here on Sunday and sing the songs and listen to the sermon preached, prayer was just a part of life. You did it like you showered. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe not all of us, but hopefully we, we shower on some kind of regular basis, right? Prayer just was part of the rhythm of your life. And so we continue steadfastly in it. We have a, a tendency towards impatience in prayer. Or we have a tendency to pray for things and then discard them. Right? How many times somebody asks you to pray for something and you say, okay. Now, number one, first of all, most of us will forget to actually pray for that thing, period. Right? But even if we do, we'll, we'll pray for it and then it just... There's no persistence or consistence in our prayer lives. Luke 18 tells us this. It's the parable of the widow. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, is the message of this parable that you should just annoy God until he gives you what you want? No. <laughs> That's not how it works. You can't say, God, give me this. God, give me this. It's not like when you have a little kid. It's like, mom, 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 what? Right? It's not how it works. But what he's saying is we ought to have a persistence in our prayer. We ought to ask for the things that we know are good and right, and we ought to continue to ask for them, even if they don't come to us right away. It's important that we have a persistence and a consistence in our prayer life. And by the way, this is where we develop habit. The way that we develop a good nature, a good kind of run at anything we do is by doing it habitually for long periods of time. If you're a runner, you know, if you haven't run for like three months and you go out there and you try to do your three, four, five miles, whatever it is, you're going to be hurting a lot. But the next day when you do it again, it'll be a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. And the next thing you know, right? I right now, with, with a kid and schedule, I haven't been able to run nearly as much as I've wanted to. If I go out right now and I try to run like three miles, I will hurt. There's a time where I could do ten with no sweat. Not today. Right? 
Prayer is something that becomes habitual when it becomes consistent. If you think it's awkward when you get on your knees and you talk to God, over time it will become less so. It's just the way it works. And so it's important that not only that you start, not only that you understand your heart as you start, I didn't rhyme that intentionally, that just kind of worked out really nicely there, right? But that we understand that persistence is the name of the game, right? You will grow more and more naturally into a life of prayer if you just persist in doing it. And so with that comes number three, prayer must be without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5 tells us this, 16 and 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We make a whole lot out of when and how we should pray. Right? Should I be on my knees? Just pray. Pray all the time. Pray in the margins of your day. Pray while you shower. Pray while you're in line at the grocery store. Pray when you're making dinner. Pray every time that you're going to start something important. Or pray before a hard conversation that you know you're about to have. Here's one. Pray every time you have some room and you do this. Put it away and instead pray. Because when you're doing that, that means you've got some free time. And you're just filling it with the thing, right? Like, like I said last week, most of the time you're not even really looking up anything specific. You're just con- taking time. Right? How many of you wait in line somewhere? You're at Panera, you're waiting in line, and you've got your... Just pray as you're in line. People might look at you weird, but whatever. Right? We ought to be a people that pray all the time. And actually, the phone, I harp on it, but it's a really great tool if you want to start to get into habitual daily prayer throughout your day because we're so used to doing this all the time. Right? If, we, if we use it as a trigger, maybe make your phone background like a thing that says, put it away and pray. Right? So when you open your phone and you're looking at it, you're like, <laughs> convicted. You tuck it away. Right? Whatever it takes. For some of us, we might need reminders. Like, let's use the technology that the Lord has given us for ways that actually help us in our spiritual lives, right? I harp on tech a whole lot. I love technology. Like, I'm a real big tech geek, but it does ruin lives in some way. But it can help us. What if you set a reminder every three hours in your day just to, just to take a moment and just pray, to process the last three hours, to, to ask the Lord for what you need for the next three, to give him thanks for what he's done so far that day, and then to, to move forward with your day. We let it ding us for everything else. Why not let it tell us how to enrich and, and, and enliven our spiritual lives through prayer? Right? It's such a simple thing, but we don't think to do it. It's all about consistency and persistency and constancy. We should pray all the time. This doesn't have to be a, you know, we have these, these greats of the faith that we read that, you know, they would conceal themselves in their room and they would spend four hours a day in prayer. Just a couple minutes throughout the day here and there. Just start. Just do something. Right? Spend some time with God and reflect on his word and pray and ask him and thank him and adore him for who he is and see if it doesn't make a difference. Number four. When we pray, it is always heard and always answered. The Lord answers every single prayer that we pray. He hears us and he responds. Here's Matthew 7 Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The Lord answers every prayer. Here's the problem. The Lord doesn't answer it with the answer that you want every single time. The Lord might say yes. The Lord might say no. The Lord might say later. The Lord might say, I have something way better for you than this. I'm going to give you what you want by changing your heart and then giving you the greater thing. Every prayer is answered. And so we need to get out of the mindset that when we pray, if the Lord doesn't do what we ask, that he somehow isn't hearing us. He does. Every prayer you have ever prayed has received an answer. But it's the Lord's way that happens, not ours. The Lord is going to give us what he wants us to have. He's going to withhold what he wants to withhold. And he's going to do it so that we might eventually live in the best possible life. We really do have our best life. But it's not the life that we think is the best life. And that's the whole point. That's what Augustine was getting at. Our hearts are in need of changing. The Lord uses prayer to give us what we want when it lines up with what he wants. And to change our desires to something different when it doesn't. So one way or another, every prayer you have ever prayed has received an answer. I promise you. Number five, prayer requires sincerity but not eloquence. The very first thing when we started this series is I asked people to raise their hand if they've ever been nervous or terrified to pray in public. Why? Well, because that guy in the circle is just so eloquent. Right? I can't sound like that. Matthew 6, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody that sounds eloquent when they pray is a hypocrite. <laughs> Don't hear that. Next time in your circle and someone is praying and they sound like Jesus himself, like that guy must be a hypocrite. No, not necessarily. Some people like to show off with the way they pray. That is a thing. That's why Jesus addresses it. But the point is this. Our prayer life is not about the eloquence of our words. You can come to the Lord on your knees, in your own house, with no one else watching, with, with no words to say. And you can come to him and you can say, I have no idea how to even approach you. Right? It's like the tax collector who just beat his breast and said, just have mercy on me. I, I got nothing else. I can't get up like that guy up front. And even if I could, I don't have the credibility to. All I have is me and your grace. Right? You can come to him in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your lack of words and clumsy and foolish, as long as you are genuine. Just come to the Lord. Right? Yesterday, we were doing some craft time with Graham, and he was painting. You know, and he, he was painting train tracks. He was drawing with crayons. And he, he went out of the line a little bit. And so I took it away and I punted his chair and I said, never, no, that's not what I did at all. <laughs> right? Why? Because he's my son and I love him. 
And he hasn't grown into maturity yet. He can't paint in the lines. He's too, right? The Lord hears us for who we are. He knows that we are not yet fully built into his likeness. He knows that we need to be sanctified day by day. And he knows that when it comes to communication with him, we have to start somewhere. And so whether you're on your own or in a group, it is okay to pray with the choppiest of words. It's okay to be praying in a group of people and just not know what to say next and have 20 seconds of complete silence while you figure it out. That's great. Do that. And by the way, those who have the hearts in the right places that do, that you do hear praying with eloquence, part of why they do that is because, number one, they've been praying for quite some time. And number two, as we pray, the Lord shapes us more and more into his likeness. And so some of these folks that we know who pray with eloquence, who have a heart after him, are doing it because they're starting to sound more and more like him because he is the one they are spending their time with. Right? It's like you have certain friends that maybe you were you know, went to college with or high school with. You know, you get together and all of a sudden you're like a different person. Right? They just influence you because when you're around them, it's just kind of you become more like them. Remember the first time Britta met my college friends, and afterwards she's like, who are you? Right? As we spend time with the Lord, we start to reflect who he is. And so our prayer lives will show in the midst of that. Don't be intimidated if you don't sound that way as you start. Number six, prayer should emphasize not just physical needs, but spiritual needs. We do this very poorly. Here's Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Think through your prayers. How many of your prayers are like this? Lord, please heal me. Or heal my friend. Someone's having surgery and they need healing. Someone lost their job and they need a job. My neighbor is struggling with their marriage. Right? We, we pray for these things that are physical needs. Now, that's not bad. We should. But have we thought about praying for the people that are living on our block that don't know Jesus that come to know him? Right. Here, here's the hard question. Are you more likely to pray for a coworker's surgery or for their soul? You have a coworker who doesn't know Jesus. How likely is that to bother you to the point where your prayer life includes praying that that person comes to know him each and every day that you spend time with God? Right? We don't naturally do that. Our, our minds and hearts when we pray are inclined towards the tangible things. So-and-so needs healing. So-and-so is going in for a procedure. Right? So-and-so has an interview. And those are good things, but we need to think about bigger pictures than that. We need to pray for the world around us. We need to pray that the Lord would flourish his church. We need to pray that this community around us who doesn't know him would come to know him. We need to pray that we as a church would be moved by the Spirit into directions that show the gospel to this area. Because praying for a successful surgery is great, but it's a band-aid on the problem. What we know as people that are saved sinners by the grace of Christ is that, listen, if I have a choice between my soul or my body, it's my soul every time. The Lord can afflict me with whatever he wants so long as at the end of the day he's got me. That's where my trust lies. 
Right? That's why I can do anything that I can do is because I know that no matter what comes, right, he could afflict me, he could afflict my family, he could afflict my livelihood, he could afflict my health, he could take me tomorrow. But at the end of the day, even death doesn't stand up to what God has in store for me as a saved sinner under his grace. And so when we pray, we pray primarily for those things and also for healings and those things. It's not that we shouldn't, right? but where are our priorities? The Lord wants us to pray. That's why he says his kingdom to come on this earth. Right? And then seven, this is the last one. Prayer must and should shape and spur us to action. When we pray, the inevitability is that the Lord will speak to us, whether it's Directly or through his word, the Lord communicates back to us as we pray to him. And the Lord will convict us of things. And part of a life of prayer is that when we pray and the Lord convicts us and moves us, that we actually act. Right? If we ask for forgiveness, we must also be people that are forgiving. Right? If we ask that the Lord would help someone, well, maybe you are the means that God has chosen to help that person. Help so-and-so find a job. Maybe you can actually help them find a job. So-and-so's family is struggling. They, you know, they lost their job and they're trying to do this. Well, maybe you're supposed to come around that family and support them and love them and help them. Right? We love to do this. We love to have this, our prayer lists and we get together and we pray for the people in our lives. And we just, our, our prayers are almost kind of like, Lord, take care of that. All right, I'm good. I'll see you later. Prayer should shape us and move us towards action. So if you want to have a life of prayer that grows and matures, one of the things that has to be a part of that is that as we pray, the Lord will convict you and push you. You know, maybe I, sh- maybe I should be the agent of change there. Maybe the Lord's looking to use me to make a difference in this place. And then we actually, in obedience, step out and make those differences. And then come back and thank the Lord that he uses us and, and brings us into his plan to be able to be having his kingdom come down to this world. Realize we're the method that he's chosen. The Lord could do anything he wanted to, but he's using his church to usher in the kingdom. Not because he needs us, but because he's chosen to use us. Know this, that if you start to embark on a life of prayer and you haven't before, it's a dangerous road. The Lord's going to ask you to do some things. When you talk, he'll talk back. You may not like what he says. It might be a hard ask. But he's always faithful. and He's always good. And part of how our prayer life matures is that when we pray and when he convicts us and when we act on the things that we're praying about and we move and he comes through and he's faithful, it gains trust. We come to see the beauty of being used by God. There is nothing on earth better and being in the midst of some kind of action and, and, and just coming to realize that this is part of God's plan and he's using you in the midst of it. There is no feeling greater than that. Right? When you've, when you've been on mission and you've, you've worked with people and you're, you're, you're coming alongside of a brother or a sister because the Lord has called you to and you can just, just tell, like, this, is the, this isn't me. This is God just using me to do things. My favorite sermons to preach are the ones where I'm like, what, what was I talking about? And someone afterwards is like, that really spoke to me. Well, it wasn't me. That's the best, right? When the Lord just uses us because we're willing to step out in faith. And so we have to have action accompany our prayer life. It's one of the primary ways that we grow 
is that we step out in faith. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not just hearers of it, deceiving yourselves. It's great to listen to God. Oh, I know exactly what the Lord is telling me to do. I've studied it in Greek and Hebrew. While you're doing it, I mean, I'll get there. Be doers of the word. And I guarantee you, as you commit to that, as you obey it, as you walk in discipline, the Lord will be faithful and your prayer life will be enriched. Prayer is a habit. There's no shortcut. There's no 12-step program to get to a better prayer life. There are principles, like we talked about today, that you can start to engage with. You can say, you know what, I'm gonna, I am going to set aside time. I'm a morning person. I'm an evening person. I can pray during lunch. I, I can set up specific routines in my life. I can understand that when I come to him, I don't have to have the words. Right? I can understand that sometimes he doesn't answer me, not because he's not present or because he's not God, but because he wants something better and different for me. You can put all these things into practice, but the hard truth is this. Prayer lives are something that develops slowly over time. There is no quick and easy substitute for just a long, as as Peterson would put it, a long obedience in the same direction. That's how our prayer lives grow. That's the only way they will grow. My challenge to you is that you would just start somewhere. That you would begin now and that next year you would reflect back and go, how far have I come? And don't evaluate yourself next to the, peop- or to the people next to you on your left or your right, but just compare yourself to yourself a year ago and continue to seek to grow in him. Right? If you want to dig deeper into this, please come find me. There's a whole host of, of works and books that I can recommend. Prayer is something that we just don't deal with enough in the church. Right? We always spur each other on to do it. We always talk about how we should pray, but we rarely spend time on it. And the last three weeks have just been a scratching of the surface. My hope and prayer, no pun intended, is that we would become a church that is known as a praying church more than anything else. Right? Like a fervently praying church that talks to God expectantly, expecting him to talk back and to move us and to shape us and to change us when he needs to. That we are nimble, that we will go wherever he wants us to go and that we will be a people who not just talk but listen. Right? What's the anecdote? We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Right? Listen twice as much as you talk. If this church became known as a people that are after God's heart, that are listening to him, that are in tune with what his desires for this church are, man, the things that we could do. No end. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who allows us and desires for us to communicate with you. What a joy that is. That you're not just some cosmic force out there that set the world spinning and then lets it go, but that you are an active, participating creator who continues to sustain us. And that you didn't just make us and let us go, but that you want a relationship. Lord, imagine that we can talk to the creator of the universe. We can know you. We can hear from you. We praise you for that. Lord, this morning we, we ask that you would take each and every one of us, wherever we are. Maybe, maybe we've never spent a day of our life in prayer on our own. Maybe we've been walking with you for 50 years. We pray that you meet us where we are and that you grow us.
you challenge us, that you push us, that you remind us of your truths from this day and the past few weeks, that you would take each one of us and set us on a path towards a better obedience and a longer obedience to you in the same direction, that we might become a people of prayer and of the word. Thank you that you speak to us from that word and that you hear us, that you are a great high priest that knows the struggles that we have, that has felt them, that has felt the pains, that understands us, that knows us, and that loves us, and that is working in our midst. Be with us this week as we go out to be your people in the world, that it might be shaped and changed. Lord, we pray for those people who we encounter this week that don't know you. Empower us to share the gospel with them. Be with us as we go out. We love you, and we praise you. And all his people said...